0: This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen, and I want to welcome you to the Warning Radio Program. Today, you're going to listen to a message that was recorded August 9, 2003. It's a timeless message. It was by my assistant pastor at the time, Ty Goldstrom. I was speaking in Jamaica with a team. The title of the message is Nehemiah. Let's begin.
1: Well, today, um, we're going to speak on Nehemiah. There's two reasons I want to speak on Nehemiah. One is because I really want to somehow capture the character of Nehemiah. Certainly, we can never capture totally a character of any person biblically, but today I want to concentrate on a few areas of Nehemiah's life because I want to be able to somehow ascertain and comprehend that why he was such an effective spiritual leader. And he was one of the best spiritual leaders in all of Scripture. Amen? And if you can capture and somehow obtain and somehow study for the goal of allowing that knowledge to travel from the head down to the heart to cause change, I believe that the Lord can use you in more dynamic ways to lead others. And I also want to launch our mindset for the next class. Now, I haven't even peered into the book or the syllabus about what Dr. Cottle is going to teach, so I don't know how much of the character of Nehemiah he's going to cover. I'm imagining as he works through the book, he'll certainly at times talk about the character of Nehemiah. But I don't think he'll do it, as far as I understand, from just looking at the character, period. And I want to be able to capture Nehemiah so that when we were working through this class, when you read the book by Dr. Cottle and we go through the 10 hours of lecture, that you have already kind of a mindset about who Nehemiah is and some of the attributes that he had. Because these will be critical, I believe, in to capture what the Spirit of God is saying through the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to start today. Guess what book I'm going to use? The book of Nehemiah. <laughs> now, I promise today that I will not teach more than about 20 minutes. But I'll preach for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Amen? If you listen closely, you will understand. We all know that Nehemiah was a tremendous leader. But we've got to understand That it's more than just saying, Jesus was a great leader, or Nehemiah was a great leader, or Moses was a great leader. we got to figure out why they were great leaders. We have to understand these things, because when we start understanding them, you can apply that truth and overlap it onto your life and see where you need to improve on. See what areas fall outside of that scriptural realm. And if you yourself know, and I'll get into leadership a little bit and about the whole concept of leadership... But I really want the Spirit of God today, and not just today, but as a catalyst today, today forwards, especially those people who are taking the class on Nehemiah, I really want you to understand the person of Nehemiah. Because though it's awesome, and we will study, I'm sure, the building project of Nehemiah, we will talk about all the areas in how many chapters, 14 chapters or whatever of Nehemiah, and I know Dr. Cottle will cover those greatly. But today, I just want to talk about a few of the attributes of Nehemiah. Because then you will see why the Lord chose him. Then you will see why he was successful. And then hopefully we can take that teaching opportunity, and we can make it into a preaching opportunity, where you yourself can now take these attributes. You yourselves can see the character, apply it to yourself, and ask God to help you. First of all, we've got to say that Nehemiah was a man of prayer, amen? And I say this because this is foundational. Because if you are not a man or a woman of prayer, then everything else beyond that is immaterial. Now we're going to talk about Nehemiah and Nehemiah's courage, Nehemiah's sensitivity and identifying himself with the people. But unless you are a man or a woman of prayer, then you will never obtain the other attributes of Jesus Christ. Because we know that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit, That sanctifies us, that changes us, that fluence from outside, the Spirit of God coming and transforming the inside. That's how we have the attributes of Jesus Christ, amen? And so we have to understand that today is a day to say and ask ourselves, am I a man or a woman of prayer? And it's not a question where you have to think about it. It's either yes or no. Either you are a person of prayer or you're not a person of prayer. Hopefully, if you're not a person of prayer, today you're saying in your heart, I want to be a person of prayer. Amen? Because just because you call yourself Christian, just because you are a Christian, does not mean that you're a man or woman of prayer. Amen? And so we have to understand that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And we have to understand that the rest of these things cannot happen unless we get to that discipline of prayer. And we have to understand also the question about the importance of prayer. Because we've been exhorted over and over again for many years, most of us, that the real battle isn't so much the devil, though he certainly tries to take advantage, but it's really ourselves. It's really the flesh within us that rebels against the ways of Christ. Amen? In the garden, it wasn't just a matter of there was a serpent in the garden or the devil was in the garden. It was really the flesh of Adam and Eve That was tempted, yes, but in themselves they had the wickedness to want to sin. The book of James tells us that we cannot say that God tempts us, amen? So we cannot blame the fall of man, or the fall of Wayne, or the fall of Ty, or the fall of anyone directly on Christ. But it's only when we're tempted in our own sinful nature, the old lust within us finds fruition and wants to sin, amen? The great contamination, I believe, of church leadership is fleshly ambition. And you got to hear me out here. The great contamination of the church leadership, predominantly, is it is so impregnated with fleshly ambition. Ambition by itself will destroy a church. Human ambition. Human leadership trying to be ambitious. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I have this goal. I have this goal. You do it on your own and you're ambitious. And how do you say, look at the biblical leaders. Look who God chose for leadership. Look at Moses. Was he ambitious to lead? No. He was reluctant to lead. Was Nehemiah going to a place and saying, well, I want to lead this rebuilding project? No. God prepared it in his heart. You almost look at every leader in the Bible, and they weren't ambitious, as we understand the word ambitious. J. Oswald Sanders says, he basically quotes A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer, for years and years, he used to speak strongly against the human ambition of leadership in the church, because he understood that these men that would come out of these Bible colleges, they were so indoctrinated by this process of business-oriented leadership. Most of the Bible colleges today, they teach you to be a pastoral leader by business philosophies. Business. And I took classes at Northwest Bible College, and again, I'm not here to put down Northwest Bible College but it's to say that they're probably reflective on the majority of Bible colleges in this country. And they really teach you in different classes about how to run a church, almost from a business perspective. And isn't it interesting that the majority of pastors today, how do they get on a pastorate at a church? Well, they go to that Bible college. And what do they do? They have an interview. Amen? I have friends that are in leadership today, that are in churches today, that are pastors. And many of them with the very same story. They were in Bible college. They got an affiliation with a church. The church leader said, well, you're graduating this year. Why don't we go out? They have a couple hour lunch together. They talk about your resume, what you've done. And then they decide if you're going to hire or fire you. You know what I'm saying? That's how they decide who's going to be the leaders of their churches. That is the norm of the majority of churches in America today. Now, that's not biblical, amen? Biblical is to know who those who labor among you. And you cannot know a man or a woman in a couple-hour interview. You can fool anyone for a few hours or a few days. Anyone can write a nice resume. And anyone can get good letters of recommendation. Amen? How many people have gotten a bad letter of recommendation? You don't go to the person who's going to write you a bad letter. Everyone's got three or four people in their camp. <laughs> you know? But this is how the church does it. This is how the church defines its leadership. And they wonder what the problem is with the singles group. <laughs> they wonder what the problem is with the youth group. What's going on with it? There's this, it's spiritually dead. You know, I was a part of a church that had a singles group and I was a part of it for about four or five years and it never grew. It was always the same size. It would like this, but overall four or five years, exactly the same. And I believe it's because of a lack of spiritual leadership. And again, you got to define the difference between natural leadership and spiritual leadership. And we have to get out of the mentality of the natural mind. Now, a lot of things overlap. There's a lot of things that are in common with spiritual leadership and business leadership. But there's a lot of things that are different, amen? I want to highlight a couple of those today. And I'll even write them down for you. I'm going to put two columns here. And I'm going to put natural here and spiritual. The natural leader is self-confident. Isn't that true, though? When you meet a person that's a leader and is a good leader, they usually have a lot of confidence in themselves. They've seen their successes in the past and those successes of the past propel them to successes today and tomorrow. They are self-confident. A spiritual leader is confident in God. Confident in Jesus Christ. And then really what typifies this, when I think of confidence, a spiritual leader of confidence, I think of Paul. I think of his character because he never relied upon himself. He always considered himself dung as far as looking at his own self. Because he realized better than almost anyone in Scripture That if you took Christ apart from him, if you could do that just for a second, he is absolutely nothing. He understood that. But most leaders today really struggle with that. They really struggle with the combination of the natural and the spiritual confidence. And it's so easy. When the Lord starts working through you, and he starts seeing signs and wonders, you start seeing good sermons, all of a sudden, this thing will challenge you. Self-confidence. Where to pretty soon, you think you can go up and do a good sermon, however you want to define that, Or you can do signs and wonders without the confidence in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of leaders today that are doing that. Do you know that you can have signs and wonders in your ministry and have very little confidence in the Lord? The Lord can use you to do signs and wonders. There are many ministers today that spend hardly any time with Christ, but the Lord still has signs and wonders through them. But we must be called to have a confidence in God and not in ourselves. Second of all, a natural leader. If he wants to be successful, he has to be a person who knows man. And so a leader in the natural realm, if you go to a big business and you talk about how you're going to be successful, one of the things it's about who you know. Amen? It's all about who you know. It's true all the way through schooling and stuff. I mean, to get into some of the nicer schools, it's all about who you know. It's all about who you know. What connection do you have? If you can get an inside connection, then you have more leadership. You have more ability. It's all about who you know. But the spiritual man not only knows man, it's not wrong to have affiliations in ministry, amen? It's not wrong to have affiliations in your Christianity. But not only do you have the confidence in knowing man, but you know God. And that only comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's key. The third area is that a natural leader makes his or her own decisions. And that makes sense, because if they don't have a Jesus Christ in their life, if they deny the lordship of the Jesus Christ, then they themselves are... The center of the world, humanistic. They themselves, the rational mind, they're the one that makes decisions. But we know as Christians, we are called to find, seek, and find God's will. The natural leader is, and we talked about this already, ambitious. And many people, they think of ambitious, they think, well, it's okay to be ambitious. But I'm really trying to make this distinction between natural ambition, the ambition of a man or a woman. To be successful can be very tempting to sin. The alluring part of having a successful ministry can be very tempting. And you read all over again, and pastor could probably repeat it over and over again. When people come together in pastor's conference, what kind of natural things do they talk about? They talk about, how many people did you have in your church last week? Amen? How many pastors do you have on your staff? I mean, this happens over and over again. This is not like the 1 out of 10. This is like the 8 out of 10. They're caught into these numbers thing. What are you doing for the Lord? What gifting do you have? They're caught into natural ambition. They're caught into success, how the world defines success. And the world defines success based on what? Based on numbers, right? It's all about numbers. It's all about how much money you have. It's all about how big you are. And so many pastors out there, and many leaders out there, and many churches out there, are into building programs, not because Jesus Christ inspired it, but because it's bigger. Amen? It's the glass cathedral. And I use that more symbolically. Building up that own little kingdom. I think we've heard that terminology before. And so what happens? Well, you start building that kind of kingdom. If you're ambitious in yourself, if you're self-confident, you can make it happen. If you have connections out there, then you'll start doing building programs. Amen? And those building programs will be what? They'll be financed by who? The bank. (laughs) Amen? Not financed by Jesus Christ. Not inspired by Jesus Christ. And so all of a sudden, we now we have leaders on the platform that are in a serious problem because now they have a huge need For monthly support, don't they? Because they got a big bill to pay. They just built a $2 million sanctuary. And they'll use the word, and I'm not saying that... Actually, I will say it. (laughs) My personal belief is, almost always, it's probably not the will of the Lord to borrow from the bank to build a sanctuary. I'll never say always with God, but I'm saying just about every time, God would rather supply the funds and then say buy it. So I'll never say always, but I'm saying almost every time I believe it's the will of Jesus Christ for faith to arise that He can bring in the blessing. But instead of having trust in Jesus Christ, they have trust in who? Bank of America. I know I can get a loan for $2 million. Takes no faith. Self-confident. Knows man. I know Bank of America real well. This happens though, my friends. This is This is daily church right here. This is how the majority... Do this thing called church. Where do they learn these tactics? Well, it's it's business, isn't it? And so if you're going to be a successful pastor in the eyes of the world today, you better understand how to do these things. So the natural leader, or the natural church, or the natural Christian is ambitious. Where the spiritual leader is self-effacing. That's to say modest or unassuming. You know, when we look at Jesus' ministry, he wasn't... His first and foremost ambition was not numbers, was it? He wasn't all about numbers. If he was about numbers, he would not have preached those sermons. And that's really the problem when you start getting into areas of natural leadership. Unlike Nehemiah. Again, remember, we're talking about Nehemiah. And many of these areas, all these areas apply to Nehemiah. But I really want them to apply to us. Because I think we really need to be transformed in our mentality and our mind about what it really looks like to be a spiritual leader. Because what happens is when you get into these areas, and now all of a sudden you have a church, and you're called pastor, and you have a $2 million mortgage. Now you have a conflict of interest that you've just created for yourself. Because the very people that you're looking at, that you're supposed to be correcting and rebuking, and if they're in sin, and they won't repent, kicking out of your church, they're the very ones that need to pay this $2 million mortgage. That's a huge problem. That's a huge conflict of interest that you put yourself in by a lack of faith. Amen? That's critical to understand. If you have a conflict of interest, you better get out of it because it'll eat you alive. Next is, and this is something I'll spend a little more time on later because it's very important, is originate's own methods versus finds or seeks and applies God's methods. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. The natural leader enjoys... Commanding others. Where the spiritual leader delights to obey God. Now this area right here is so crucial because really, and I'm sure every single person has always run into this, is if you're into the natural leadership and you start relying on these areas, you begin to learn very subtle ways about how to lord it over people. Amen? I see this all the time. I mean, the pecking orders that are out there. I mean, I'm always in the middle of the pecking order, especially in medicine. There is a huge pecking order in medicine. Huge! And it's so huge that you constantly hear people talking about where they're at in the pecking order. Amen? And how do they define about where they're at in the pecking order? Well, it's about authority and it's about money, isn't it? (laughs) I'm not trying to pick on anyone here. But what do they call an LPN? They call themselves a low-paid nurse. Why? Because that's how they judge authority. That's how they judge their place. Who makes the most money in medicine? Doctors make the most money. And they, I mean, if you've ever worked with a doctor... I am so pleased about where I work because really I don't have to deal with this because almost everyone in my clinic is a Christian. But you know the majority of people out there that are doctors? My mom works with secular doctors and I tell you, they can be some of the most arrogant, self-confident, make your own decisions, ambitious, originate their own methods of morality and how things are supposed to be done and they enjoy commanding others. Oh, they love this part right here. They love it. Power. I remember studying in psychology, and if you've ever taken any psychology classes, I can't remember, and it help me out if you remember. There was a study done back, and I think it was either the 60s or 70s, where they took normal people, and they made two groups out of them. One was security officers, or whatever you want to call them. The other group was prisoners. And they ran this study out for, like, I don't know if it was three or four months just to see what would happen with normal individuals, when you put them in two different classes, would they start acting differently? And they started really acting differently. They started persecuting them. Because the whole situation was set up was, these were prisoners, they committed crimes, you are an authority with them. You make sure they do what they're supposed to do. And they would actually start persecuting them. They did another one that had to do with shocking the person. And so they had this little sensor on their finger, and I don't remember the whole study. I don't know if someone else remembers, let me know. But they used to be on the other side of the board where you could not see the other person. And if a person got an answer wrong or did something wrong, you'd shock them. And it was funny to see that as the time progression went, they had an area of intensity where they could intensify the shock, would intensify. So you put people in power conditions with natural leadership, and they enjoy demonstrating their authority and their power. And they'll even persecute. I mean, look at the persecution of many Christians in different countries throughout the world. You say in your mind, you say, how could somebody possibly torture somebody. I mean, when I read that book on history of Christianity in America, I believe it was in, it was in part one. And remember what the Indians would do to certain Christians? I mean, it almost this reading it makes you want to vomit. I mean, skinning the individual in front of their children. I mean, obviously demonic. But the thing is here, that demonic, yes, but we cannot blame it first and foremost on demons. we got to blame it this area right here, subjecting yourself to demonic influence. Because the flesh... Longs to lord it over. Longs to command. Longs to have its way. To make new methods. My way. I don't care about your way. And we see this all through business. We see it through medicine. And unfortunately, we see it in the church. I mean, what was Jesus preaching against? What was Jeremiah preaching against? He was preaching against pastors, shepherds that were what? They were lording over their influence on the congregation. Amen? The natural man, the natural leader. Here's another big one. Motivated by personal considerations. Motivated by personal considerations, the spiritual leader, motivated by love for God and man. So the natural leader is motivated by personal considerations. What does that look like? That looks like, what can you do for me? (laughs) Amen? A new relationship. What can you do for me? How might I must exact your talents to further my talents. Amen? That's the natural leader. We look at everyone as what? An asset. A potential asset. And we're looking for ways that you can better me. I don't really care about you. I care about you only in the fact that I can somehow use you to better myself. This is a natural leader. But a spiritual leader, this is their motivation. A love. And it really should say agape love, shouldn't it? Agape love... For God, which again always comes from God. We only can return agape love because we received it first. And it's that agape love that Christ gives us for man. Well, we don't look at our fellow brothers and sisters as assets. Or what can you do for me? There is a lot of churches out there that when new people come in the door, all the leaders are right to them. How can I plug them in? But again, this is not consideration for who they are as people. We are supposed to, as leaders, look at a person that comes in, see what the will of Jesus Christ is for their life, not your will. Yes, your ministry may need three or four people to help it out. And our ministry has a similar situation where we have many ministries that are run thin, don't we? But our motivation when somebody comes to this front door is not what can they can do for me. Wait a second, I can plug them into my ministry. So we've we got to be very careful as a ministry and very careful as department heads about seeing the will of Christ for somebody's life and not your will. Because it's very easy to try to get into this natural leadership tendency and say, wait a second, people judge me based on my leadership. People judge me about how good a department head I am. This gets into some of the areas we talked about today in worship, about how people might perceive me. And we have a lot of strong encouragement to be successful leaders, and we should, but we got to do it God's way, don't we? And if somebody comes to the door and you say, wait a second, I'm strong thin here, this person can better me. You might not use that terminology, that's the interpretation. And you start using people, and you start looking at them after the flesh, instead of after the spirit. This is a strong temptation in the church. So what happens? Well, that's fine. So now you've got a person on your camp, helping you out. But what happens in three or four months from now? When they're doing something that's far apart from their calling, they dry up. They're not successful. And then there's friction between the, you know what I'm saying? It never works out your way. Tune
0: in next week as Dr. Hansen will share parts two and three of Pastor Ty Goldstrom's message, Nehemiah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program